Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I don't know about you, but at times I tend to question God. I don't know if you're a a questioner of God. I don't know if you're someone who's like, well, there's nothing to question. It's all very straightforward, no need to worry. But I sometimes get a little bit confused by his ways, or I don't quite understand what he's doing and why he's doing it. And so I tend to have some questions. I'm not one of these types that gets super angry, though. I've got some friends that, that love to get angry with God, and it's their thing. Uh, I have one particular friend who likes to take their dog for a walk to the countryside and like rant and rave at the top of their voice. Like, why is this happening, God? And she's had a few awkward moments where like another dog walker and, uh, you know, she just looks like, I think she's named her, her dog God, just in case, you know, so she can be shouting at the dog, but she's really, I don't know how she justifies her behavior. But You know, I'm not a ranter and raver. I'm not a fist waver. I'm someone who just gently, quietly has doubts. I don't scream with frustration. I just just sometimes let my questions consume me quietly on the inside. I don't know where you're at. I've got questions about some of the things that are going on. You know, I've been in my neighbourhood. I've been living as what I would call an urban missionary in an area of deprivation I live in East Manchester. I moved there intentionally to kind of live in the poorest part of the city in order to bring Jesus uh, and make him known and and serve the community. But I have to find after 20 years, there's there's not loads of change. And I'm like, God, what, what are you doing? Like, what did I do wrong here? How have we found that after 20 years, I haven't seen revival yet? How have we gotten here? There is no dramatic change. And I question, you know, some of the things like, why is it that education favours the wealthy? Why does does healthcare favour the rich? Why do the poor get the the rubbish end of the stick and and things like that? What is with COVID, God? I've been saying that a fair amount. Like, why a global pandemic? Why millions of people dying because of a disease? And now it's, why Russia? Why Russia? God, why did you let that happen? How... Did this all come about? Why Russia? Why now? And then I've got the more, even more personal questions. I ask, like, why, like, why did you let my friend Mo, the guy that, the first guy that got saved in my community, you know, a guy I met because he worked in the local takeaway, that I managed to share the good news of Jesus with, who, whose life was radically turned around, who, was, when his family in Iran found out that he'd become a Christian, sent people from Iran to Manchester to beat him on the streets of Manchester. Why, like, why did he get deported? Why, why did the UK government think that was a good idea? Why did you let a believer be sent back to Iran so that now he has spent the last six years in an Iranian jail being punished and persecuted for his faith? Why do you think that is okay, God? But I don't rant and rave, I just have quiet doubts. And then I think about my friend Lee, 
You know, Lee is a guy who probably served more than anyone over years of ministry. This is a, a guy that is uh, an addict. I'd love to tell you what he was addicted to. It was just everything. He was a consumer. If you had pills, he would take them. He wouldn't even ask what it was. He would just throw them down his mouth, desperate to, to change the brokenness of his life. But yet I saw change in Lee. Little by little, step by step, he got himself through rehabilitation and he got himself clean and then there's this day right where where the local council find him a house but it's out of my community and it's slightly distant from a bunch of us but he looks like he's safe I've got him to the place of safety and stability and then I was called by his brother to tell me that his next door neighbor had stamped on his neck and killed him why God why Why does this happen? At the point where you've just rescued this guy and we've seen the wonderful transformation that comes only in Jesus, why does this happen? And I've got so many why stories that if I let it kind of build up in me, it can sometimes consume me, it can sometimes break me. And I'm sure each of you have got your why questions of things that you've encountered in your life, difficulties that you've uh, like experienced that begin, if you're not careful, just to build up this picture, this wrong understanding of God. Like why? Why does he allow these things to happen? And in a season where we've got loads of questions for God, in a season where there's lots of things that we want to ask of him, I've just been thinking, is there some questions that God would be asking of us? Like, if we got a little bit of a one-to-one with God, some one-to-one time, maybe there'd be some questions that God would ask of us. And if you go through the Scriptures, if you go through the Bible, there are a number of questions that God asks of his people. And I want to go through just five of those this morning and give you my reflections on them. The first one comes in Genesis chapter 3. God is searching for Adam. Adam has gone AWOL. There's been this incident with an apple. I don't know if you've read that story. It went, he, he ate the wrong thing. It was a mistake. And then he sort of disappears from God. And God says this in verse 9 of chapter 3. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? The first question of God in all of the scriptures is, where are you? But you know what? Often the question that we ask of God is, where are you? Do you not see all this mess? Where are you? But actually the word of the Lord comes to us, questioning us, where are we? We question God's involvement. Where are you in COVID? Where are you in suffering? And we assume that bad things are happening because God is somehow absent. I hear about a local dad who's feeding his kids out of a wheelie bin, and I'm like, where are you, God? Can you not see this? I think about a vulnerable guy that used to turn up to our church who we found out had been, uh, 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 had been killed and like, dismembered and put in a suitcase that was found on the edge of my community. Where are you? You know, what I tend to say, that's happened because somehow God was negligent. God wasn't there. God has deserted us. Maybe God is is busy somewhere else like Superman, can't be in two places at the same time. And we deem that God has somehow been unfaithful to us. But the truth is we turn from him. It's a great tactic of the devil to divert our attention, to distract us from God, to deceive me about the character of God, to to distort the truth 
about his presence with us, and ultimately to try and create distance from God that we deem to be God's fault. And all the time, I feel like God is saying, where are you? I want in. Where are you? I want to be in the struggle. I'm looking for you. I'm here in the mess. Can you see me? Where are you? Include me in your suffering. God continues to ask, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Why do you hide? Why do you keep yourself from me? I'm ready to act. I want to be with you. I want to be near you. We worship a God who delights to be in our presence, wants to be with us, calls himself the God who is near, but yet we somehow think he's distant. God calls us to face up to where we are, face up to the realities of life. It is difficult. It is painful. This life is no like easy ride. But don't withdraw. Don't hide away. Don't go it alone. Recognize God is with us. Stay the course. Continue to focus. Hebrews 11.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I love this passage of scripture because it contains three great commands. Throw off. Fix your eyes. Consider him. God calls to us. Where are you? And then he tells us to fix our eyes, to get rid of all the things that would try and get in between you and God, all the things that would consume us and get us to bury ourselves. And he says, get rid of all that. Fix your eyes and consider him. Consider him. He wants to be near you. Who did all he could in order to bridge the gap between us and God. Consider him. Question two is similar, found in 1 Kings. I know you're there in your scripture. If you're just about to preach, I'm sorry, I might well steal a little bit of it. But in 1 Kings, the prophet Elijah completes that incredible victory over the 400 prophets of Baal. Elijah has cried out to the Lord to answer, and the Lord has answered with outstanding power. And then the people have responded to this great show of power by God. And all the people together begin to sing this great song. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I imagine it's like the pinnacle of his ministry. It's like, yeah, the people love me. I mean, they love God. It's all going well. And then he prophesies the coming rain. A rain that's been like long coming. And, you know, he sees that cloud on the horizon. It's like the, the cloud the size of a fist. And he's like, it's going to rain, people. And then he does that amazing thing where he tucks his cloak into his belt and he runs faster than a chariot, which I, I would love to see. This amazing speed. He's like peaking in ministry. It couldn't get better. The power of the Lord. The use of his gifts. But yet, with just, within just one chapter we find Elijah hiding in a cave proper sad 
in a mood, in a grump. 1 Kings 19.9, and the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> what are you doing? And I don't know if you know, God was saying it quite as facetiously as me. What I love about the questions of God is he knows the answers, he's sovereign, but yet he's trying to trigger in us some, some provoke and evoke some things in us that get us to address some bigger issues. What are you doing here? You've seen some incredible victories. Have you not seen how powerful I am and that I'm with you? And so often we forget, I don't know if you're the same, but we forget the great victories that God does, the great things that he's done in our lives. You know, we kind of take for granted our salvation or we take for granted the miracles that go around. Sometimes, you know, I went to this uh, 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 leaders gathering and someone said, any good news, a bunch of church leaders, and there was no good news. And no one could think of anything good that God had done ever. <laughs> like, what's going on in the room? We forget just how wonderful God is. I, I forget sometimes. I get so, we get so consumed by all the negative and all the things that are going on around us. It's like the world is so dark. Like, where is God? Ah. Oh. And we forget the great things that God has done. There was for a while, in my area of deprivation, where crime is high, the police paid for a billboard on the main road that said, crime has reduced 80% in the last six months. I'm like, it was like the, the, the police were testifying to the goodness of God in my neighborhood. But yet I forget this stuff, you know. And I forget that drug users get clean and I forget the countless baptisms where people stand in a pool and they tell me the good the news of Jesus and they go down and return. You know, I forget all these things. I forget the healings. I forget when people that I know were, you know, were sick and then got better miraculously. We forget these things when it all goes bad. I remember going to visit my mate Martin. He was living uh, an addict. He was quite a notorious guy. He'd been in strange ways for, for crimes I can't really go into. And, um, uh, 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 but now was like living in a halfway home in my community. You know, like, like one step on from homelessness, really. I went to visit him. And I walked in and, and his brother was, was visiting him too. His brother was kind of um, shirtless, sat there in this chair. And I walked in and Martin introduced me as the priest, which I've never been a priest, <laughs> which is kind of awkward. And, um, and his brother was so cynical, he went, oh, God, what has God ever done? Ugh, like, ugh. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's done nothing. Like, my mind is blank. I'm like, where's all the testimonies? I can, well, let me tell you what God has done. I'm ready. And I uh, had nothing. But Martin went, how dare you? Let me tell you what God has done. And I'm like, what? <laughs> this will be fun. And Martin goes, I, I, you know, I once went to uh, Sam's church because my arm was so bad. He'd been ripping scrap out of derelict houses and he damaged all his, like, the ligaments in his arm. And then he said, and, then he said, um, and Sam and his uh, friends prayed for me and I felt this tingle on the top of my head and a tingle on the, uh, on the bottom of my toes and then he said my arm was instantly better and I was like no way <laughs> this is amazing and his brother was like whatever and then, and then he, he said and then I went to see Sam one time because I'd taken some drugs he'd taken some kind of whiz or something and, um, 
He'd been awake for three days and he's beginning to panic that he'd never go to sleep again. And he said, Sam and his friends prayed for me, felt this tingle on the top of my head and on the bottom of his toes. And then he said, I fell asleep. And I'm like, I remember that because you slept all day. And in fact, I needed to go home to see my family. So I had to wait, shake him awake in order to be able to lock the place up. These miracles, I was like, I totally forgotten. Like, Martin, can you follow me around just to tell me what good things God does because I'm naturally prone to forget. And then he went again. And he said, I once was, was rattling. I was, I was coming out, out of my, uh, you know, he'd been a, a, an alcoholic and he was beginning to rattle because he hadn't drunk. And so he came to see me and my guys and we prayed for him. And he said, and the, instantly the rattling stopped. Instantly the rattling stopped. And I'm like, wow, how quickly I forget the goodness of God. And I forget the times when people have committed their lives to the Lord, when the people have begun to sing in my neighborhood the song that was sung on that mountaintop where Elijah was and began to sing as a people, the Lord, he is good. But like Elijah, so often I find myself standing alone. I think I'm all alone. That everybody else has deserted me. That I'm the only one that's really working hard. I'm the only one left of God's anointed. You know, we kind of get so inward looking, so self-focused. When life gets difficult, we're like, I'm the only one. Lord, where are your people? Because it's just me and you now. Everybody else has fallen away. I'm like, I'm the target of the devil. I'm like, he's, like he's just trying to take me out. And with that becomes exhaustion and fatigue and I find myself hiding away, not in a cave but on a couch in the darkness of Netflix and all licking my wounds for all the difficult things that have happened. But the word of the Lord comes to me and it comes to you. Hear his voice. He says, what are you doing here? And he asks us to evaluate our spiritual position. God asks us to become aware again of him and what he's doing. God asks us to lift our eyes to see that there's many others fighting the battle. In Elijah's case, he said, did you not know? i got 7,000. Look around. Oh, look there. They all are in the valley. 7,000 who have yet to bend a knee. You're not the only one. Understand that I'm with you. And my people are ready. God has not given up on us. He promises never to leave us or forsake us. And he has plans and he's working on them. And what's beautiful about the plans of God is that he wants us to join him in them. To join his mission. He calls us to wake up, take stock and then get back to it. He has others that are ready to serve. Number three, I love this question. It comes to Amos. Amos Chapter 7, verse 8. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? What a great question to ask a prophet. What do you see? And I love how like down-to-earth Amos is. He doesn't get like, oh, I see a tree. You know, all that kind of prophetic stuff. He's like, I can see a basket of fruit because there's fruit in front of him. And he goes, I can see some fruit. And, uh, and, it, and, and then it comes another question. What do you see, Amos? He's like, there's a plumb line because, guess what? In front of him was a plumb line. He just says what he sees. But this is the call of God for us to take a look round. He asks us where we are and why we're here. And then he says, take a good look around. 
Don't bury your head like Elijah. Clarify your vision. Look at things through the eyes of God. Change your perspective. Sometimes I become saddened by the world around me and I lose sight of what God is doing and he calls us to take another look. I remember working with this guy uh, for years and years, trying to get him into rehab and I, I drove him to all the way to, uh, to, to, to Cardiff to go in a rehabilitation centre and, uh, and, uh, and then, you know, I left him there, drove back to Manchester. That was on a Friday, on a Sunday morning, my friend was sat on the doorstep of church. You know, he wasn't supposed to be there. And I remember saying to him, what are you doing here? And he said, oh, well, what, you know, you're late for church. And I'm like, you shouldn't even be here. You're, you should be in rehab for the next six months. But what do I see? If I take another look, what do I see? You know, I see my rebellious nature. I see what it's like for, for me to reject the best that God has for my life. I see it evident in those around me. I'm like, actually, Lord, challenge me when I think I've got a better idea of what to do with my life. Challenge me. And if there's hope for you, if there's hope for me, then there's hope for those who I'm working with. I remember taking a group of people to a guy in my estate's house. It was very, very derelict. And we we kind of said we'd do like a makeover, 60-minute makeover style thing in his house we all piled in there with like suits on and gloves and we're scraping stuff off the floor and we're trying to make it nice it was so derelict this house that the joists in the kitchen had um, fallen into the like the foundations so his whole downstairs was on a slope like down to his like cooker it was a real real wreck probably the most like broken house I've ever been in but in the corner of his lounge is this massive tv like this amazing TV, way better than my TV. And I said to this fella, like, your house is a wreck, like, like in a nice way. I was like, your house is not particularly in a good place. And, uh, but yet you've got a massive television, like, what's going on there? And he said, look, I got lucky. I put a 50p bet on a horse and it built an accumulator to the point where I had so much money that I could buy myself a TV. And I was like, but you could have maybe fixed your floor. <laughs> you know, you could, have, you could have done so many things with this. But what do I see when I take another look? Not just to make a judgment about the poor and how they buy TVs. Take a look at what I see. I see how Jesus must feel when I make poor choices. You know, when he has the best plan for my life and I'm like, yeah, but there's better things than that. You know, when I start to take control of my life and I feel like God say, there's hope for you and there's hope for this guy. So keep on going. I took a guy to court who'd been found in like the the backyard of a derelict house holding a a, 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 a microwave, a knackered old microwave. And he was arrested by the police and I went to court with him because I felt it was a real injustice. And we had this amazing moment in court. You know, we went there praying that God would would uh, be on our side and we'd get an amazing judge and all this stuff. And all the time, all throughout the day, there's these amazing miracles as God answered one prayer after another. And finally, we get to court and this judge, uh, after like the deliberate, like the initial, I don't know the court phrases, um, he says, he stops the proceedings and he says, 
Are you telling me you've brought this gentleman into my court because he's been found holding a scrap, a, a, a scrap microwave with a value of 75 pence? And uh, the prosecution didn't quite know what to do. They said, yes, your honour. And then he said, then this is a waste of my time, a waste of the court's time. Go, off you go. And then my mate stood in the dock and he's like, what shall I do? I'm like, go with me. <laughs> and we like left the court singing and dancing. And we went home singing to Darlene Check and worshipping like this. And we got home and I said, what were you doing there? Like, what were you doing in the garden of this derelict house? And he said, it's confession time. And I'm like, what? He said, I've been working for the past few months, taking the slates off that entire row of houses. I've probably um, cashed in £30,000 worth of slates. I'm like, get back in the car. We need to go see the judge. But I'm thinking, what do I see? What do I see? If I take a second look, what do I see? I see what it's like for Jesus when I hold back my sin. When, I, when I, I, I go and I, I present myself before him like I'm holding like just a little bit of scrap. But inside I'm holding back all the real stuff. What do I see? Actually, I see my mess and my sin. But I see a God who's willing to forgive me when I just bring it all before him. And I see, actually, if there's hope for me, then there's hope for that guy too. And God begins to reframe the situations and the circumstances of our lives when we begin to, to, to look afresh with the eyes that God has given us. When we begin to look at it through his perspective, not only does he make us aware of all the mess that's around us, he begins to show us what he's doing, how he's actively involved, how he's going to bring change, and he's restoring hope all the time as he makes us aware of what he's doing. Sometimes we come so blind because of the situations of difficulty and suffering around us that we lose sight of the goodness of God. Retrain your eyes. Fix your eyes again. Don't lose sight of what he's doing. Number four. Keep going. Sorry if this is dragging. Ezekiel 37.3. You'll know this one. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? God asks us, how's your faith? You got any faith? Can these bones live? And I love Ezekiel's response. He's like, only you, sovereign Lord. You, sovereign Lord. Only you alone know whether these things can take place. Of course, God knows that if the, 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 the dead can come to life. But yet he wants to see whether we have faith for miracles. Faith that change can come. Faith that things are going to be different. Do you have faith in the one who laid the foundations of the earth? The one who calls himself sovereign? Do you have faith that he still works? That he can still bring change today? Do you have faith for that? Do you have faith to believe that the Lord can make a difference? That when he calls himself the author and perfecter of faith, do you have, have faith? in him that he can bring change or do you just blame him for the lack of his power or the lack of justice that you see can these bones live all the time I think about it for my community do I hear the word of the Lord when he says to me Sam can these bones live do I still have power here can I still bring change Think about that question for you. When you think about the brokenness of your lives, of those people around you, where you need God to be active, hear the word of the Lord again when he questions us, 
can these bones live? Do you have faith? Do you still ask? Do you still ask for him to step in? Do you still expect to see things in your, in your neighborhood, in your life? And this leads us, I suppose, to our final question. Because actually, when God begins to say, I can do some stuff, he wants us in on his restoration plan. He says, if you've got faith, then let's go together. If you've got faith, then many things can come. But he wants us in with him. And his final question comes to Moses. It comes to Moses at the point of real doubt. And the question that comes to Moses is this. What is in your hand? What skills and gifts and abilities has God poured out in great measure into your life? Examine what God has given you. For Moses, it's this big stick at the point where he's freaking out about what he's got to do, freaking out about the calling of God upon his life. God's like, but just take a look. Open your right hand. What's there? It's a great big stick. But with the great big stick, you're going to see the power and the anointing of God released. You're going to see change come. But what is it for you? It's not going to be a big stick. But God has given each of us great gifts that he's poured out in great measure. But again, at the point of difficulty and hardship, we close ourselves down. We hide ourselves away and we begin to say, we've got nothing. I've got nothing left. Nothing to contribute. And the word of the Lord says, take another look. What's in your right hand? I've given you so much. God doesn't simply just ask if the dry bones can come to life, but he expects us to join him in seeing life come. And so he says back to Ezekiel, he says, prophesy to the bones. Breathe on the bones. Prophesy to the breath. He calls us to action. We are to actively engage in the purposes of God. Actively pay our part in the great miracles of God. By his grace, he has given each of us so much. He's given us creativity and generosity and encouragement and love for the unlovable and passion for the poor or passion for prayer or a fearlessness for the gospel. Maybe he's blessed you with great patience or kindness or some thoughtfulness which other people don't have or great leadership ability or teaching skills or faith beyond great measure. And the list goes on and on. Take a minute just to think again. Lord, What have you given me? Because God gives nothing that has not got purpose. He fully intends all the gifts and ability that he's lavished upon each of us is for great purpose. And it's to join the mission of God and to outwork those things. Each of us is rammed full of stuff. Look, I know it's hard. And I know it's difficult. And I know it's painful. Don't hide away. Don't bury your head. Lift your eyes again. Take a look at what God has given you and join him again and expect great things of God as he uses you powerfully for his kingdom.